Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. I hope you are happy, joyous, and free, and doing well and healthy during this time. We have a fascinating conversation. I am so excited to introduce the Reverend Sarah Bowen, who is an author, an interfaith minister, and many, many other things. I'm so excited to hear about this and your work and your upcoming book, because honestly, I often ask myself, when I look at horrific images of factory farming, I find myself saying, what would Jesus say over and over again? How can we as a society turn a blind eye to what is undoubtedly the most extreme suffering experienced by the most sentient beings in the history of the world, 80 billion minimum cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats, and lambs raised in torturous conditions and killed in horrible manners. Um, Just a lifetime of torture every year with the entire society saying, oh, well, that's just the way it is. How do how do people of faith reconcile that? What, what is your teaching? Well, it's messy, Jane. So I think we're going to dig into that a little bit today. I, you know, I think for me, it started with a question actually as a six-year-old who was coming home from school one day and saw a chipmunk who'd been hit and was lying by the side of the road. And I tell you, Jane, the first question that came to my mind at that age as a preacher's kid was what would Jesus do about roadkill? And so that kind of started the entire journey for me of, you know, if I'm being taught the words of the wise sages, whether it's, you know, I'm in our faith, so there's a lot of them, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or Lao Tzu or Krishna or whoever that we're looking to for our wisdom in our, in our religious tradition, what do they say about exactly what you're talking about? And all of our religions have a lot to say about suffering. We just don't always extend it beyond humans. Well, if you see me, by the way, looking down, it's because I'm sharing the story because this is a conversation that needs to be had and it's not being had. Um, I personally feel that the most, uh, let's just say I'm, I'm not a person who goes to church or, but I am a person of, um, belief in a higher power. That's how I'd characterize it. I don't know exactly how to characterize that higher power, but I know it's not me. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And I do pray. I do pray. And I I find that that helps me start my day and uh, I turn my problems over to a higher power. Uh, And uh, what sometimes they say, put it in the God box, right? Because we all have problems and we're powerless over a lot of aspects of our problems. And uh, Along with putting my personal problems in the God box, I also put the suffering of animals. I say, I surrender this to you because I'm doing everything I can, but I'm powerless over the behavior of other people to a large extent. And uh, so to me, that's my faith. But 
just in general, I would think that people of faith, as you say, whether Christian or Buddhist or um, practicing um, Judaism or any of the other faiths, that the first thing you'd want to do is be kind, cause less suffering, um, treat other beings, especially those less powerful than you, with compassion. And yet it seems to be missing. It seems to be missing from all religions. So let's talk about why that is. Because, and, let's, and let's first state that it's not, it's not completely missing. There are a lot of us who are working in this area. There's the, uh, the, vegan inter, the Interfaith Vegan Council. There are different uh, traditions who have groups of religious folks or spiritual folks or both uh, who are working here. Of course, we, like, like, the, uh, like the vegan movement, are not the dominant narrative. Right. So that's really important for us to say, not to say that it isn't happening, but to say that we have a lot of challenges for getting people to to widen their view. And the challenges that we have within religions are the same ones we have within society. Right. We live in a world that has carnism, which is not discussed and is this kind of general narrative that it's okay to eat other beings we have speciesism, we have dominionism that comes in, we have a lot of isms that we're working, we're working against. And so we are fighting the same problems, whether we're secular, we're religious, we're spiritual, or we just don't know what we are. We're, we're, we're fighting the same issues. Now, where, where I think those of us who are involved in, in a personal spirituality or in a communal spirituality, which we often call religion, there are some tools that we find within our religion for how do we deal with our distress? Like you're talking about, Jane, how do we deal with suffering? And the Buddhists have one way of, of describing that, and the Christians have another way of describing that, and each, each tradition has a way. I think what sometimes happens for people who are not in a spiritual community but are doing the kind of choose-your-own-adventure through, through spirituality is they they don't always have a framework to look at or to, uh, to dissect. So I guess today, what we wanted to talk about a little bit, you, you know, you brought Jesus in the room. So Jesus is here. So maybe it's helpful to talk a little bit about um, what the Christian faith says about how we deal with the suffering. Well, I, I've always said, having visited Israel, having stood at the temple in Jerusalem and remembered reading in a book called Zealot, for example, that the most documented aspect of the life of Jesus Christ is that he went into the temple in Jerusalem. And that it's usually described as chasing off the money changers. But what he also did is he freed the animals who were destined for sacrifice. That's why they were changing money to get those animals. And he chased them out. Today, yeah. he would be considered a radical animal rights activist. Can you comment on that? Yeah, well, he was a radical activist in his day as well. We need to we need to remember that you know when when Jesus was asked what he was here to do, he said that he was here to to free the oppressed, and he didn't say the oppressed men or the oppressed women or the oppressed of of this particular group. He said to free the oppressed. So um, I like to refer to that that biblical verse that you're you're talking about as uh, Jesus's temple tantrum. And you're right that they, it's often about the money changing. But the first thing that he says when he gets into that market is, or, well, okay, let me, let me stop for just one second and say that we don't, we don't know what Jesus said. Okay. So we, what we have are secondhand accounts 
that were written 30 years or more after Jesus's death. We don't have him on Instagram or Facebook or Voice America saying what he said. <laughs> so, so what we can do is we can look at what it was said that he said. Okay, and I'm try to make for a second. Yeah, because we have a caller, and what happens is if we don't go them right away. They drop off, and we. we oh, well, let's get to the caller. That. Sure, Craig, Craig. What is your question or thought? Hi, uh, I'm Craig Wesco, and I've been vegan and Christian for about 10 years. So uh, believe me, I'm on the same page. But the, the hardest question that I come across to answer is when someone who's a Christian who's not vegan says, well, why did Jesus eat fish and why did he feed others fish? In other words, uh, if Jesus is my role model and he's my example to live by, and according to the Bible, he did these things, then why shouldn't I also eat fish and feed people fish? Well, I have a, that's an excellent question, Craig. Thank you for that. And I have a follow-up question because not to be blasphemous to anybody, but a lot of the stories in the Bible are considered by some to be metaphors or um, actually in a historical sense written in the many, many years, decades, and I don't know how long after Jesus died by a group of people, like uh, people piecing together his story. So, for example, walking on water, did that actually happen or is that a metaphor? Um, uh, dividing up the, you know, feeding the multitudes fish, it, did that really happen or is that a metaphor? That's well, let, let's think about why we're asking this question. Okay, why we're asking, what would Jesus say about such and such? So for Christians, um, many of us will ask that question because we want to look to Jesus as an example of behavior. And that's what Craig is talking about. We'll get to that in another minute. You know, Non-Christians may ask this question because they want to make a case for why there is inconsistency or why there is a problem in the tradition or to, to build a case against in a way, right? Or we can try to ask this question and attempt to do it objectively, but we can't because we always bring ourselves to Bible interpretation. Mm -hmm. We always bring ourselves to the interpretation of a movie or a book or a Facebook post that we saw. We're always going to be viewing it from our lens, so we need to start there. I think, Craig, to answer your question, which is an important one, we have to remember the context. Now, would we be looking 2,000 years back in American history and pointing to what the first folks who came to, okay, well, we'd have to, <laughs> we wouldn't go back fully 2,000, but do we look back anywhere else in history to decide what our behavior should be? We don't usually, but we do it within religion because it's based on certain values. And so I think the question is, Jesus was acting through a lens of ending oppression and increasing compassion. Now, his context was different. They did not know if fish could feel or lambs could feel or how um, animals see, feel, how they grieve, all of the things that we know now from modern science, they did not know. So when someone asks me a question, why did Jesus feed fish, right? What I think is we, we clearly know that he didn't like what was going on in the temple. We were just talking about that before we took this call. He didn't like what was going on. He went in, he freed the animals and said, by whose authority are you doing this stuff, guys? Right? So we know that he had some compassion in that area. So perhaps fish were in his blinds, blind spot. 
I don't know. But what I do know is when we take our values and what we know scientifically now, and we project them back 2,000 years on someone and expect them to know everything that we know, that's a little bit unfair. So when I speak to other people and Christians who ask me that question, what I say is, what was the, at the root of what Jesus wanted to have done? And that's how I'm going to base my behavior. Does that help at all, Craig, if he's still with us? Yeah, it, it does. And I think my, my response is usually, well, the reason Jesus ate fish, the only instance where he's depicted as eating fish, is to prove his resurrection. And I'd say if there's ever a reason to eat an animal product, that would be one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and, you, and think about, too, Craig, right? These, these story, the, the Gospels were written well after Jesus was gone. They weren't written in the moment. They were not Facebook posts, right? Mm-hmm. So they were written later. And so, what, so another, another area of, of interest to scholars is, did Jesus, or vegan scholars, of course, did Jesus actually eat the fish? Or was that added in when the story was told in order to tell us um, the state of Jesus's body during the, the, this process of resurrection? We don't know because we don't have Jesus with a fish in his hand. So I think that there's a certain amount of, and Jane was speaking to this, you know, whether we're taking things um, literally or we're taking them metaphorically, or most of us do a combination of both. When, when um, we read in Scripture, God is love, most of us are real happy taking that literally. When we read, you know, bash somebody's head against a rock because we're angry at them, we don't really want to take that one literally. So I think we need to approach Scripture with curiosity, also understanding that a lot of people redacted and wrote it. It wasn't written as one draft. And there's a lot of things that are going in. So go back again, like, you, like you're going, Craig, to... What was the point of Jesus's mission? Because he says that it was to free the oppressed, or at least that's what we're told he says. So I think that if Jesus knew all the stuff that we know about fish, and Jane, don't we know a lot about fish? <laughs> Jesus might have a different viewpoint. Well, Craig, I, I want to thank you for your, for your question. It's a good, thought-provoking question. And you know, for me, we're discussing this. Obviously, we don't have all the answers, but what kind of upsets me is that there is no discussion of this. Um, In other words, those who hold the mantle and say they are um, spiritual leaders, okay, they they have a certain responsibility in their behavior. If we see a spiritual leader drinking, smoking, gambling, (coughs) engaging in um, behavior that we would consider morally abhorrent, Uh, we would be horrified. And yet it is accepted that spiritual leaders, quote unquote, all over the world are eating animals and nobody's saying a a, a damn thing about it. You know, the Pope. Well, I think I think just to just to finish the thought was challenged by Genesis Butler, a a young vegan who's a, a brilliant TEDx talker to go vegan for Lent. And he declined and he chose to give up gossip. And he himself is named after St. Francis of Assisi, the patron saint of animals. And he himself has said that we should be kind to animals. Nevertheless, he eats veal. Which is absolutely true, Jane. But it's important, I think, also to remember that now I didn't come out of the womb vegan. It was a damn hard process. And it, and it came in, in, a, in steps. 
And what the Catholic Church has gone from the from what they used to have to the catechism to to the 2015 um, encyclical that Francis did, there is movement. It's not as much movement as you and I would like to see. Damn straight. But there is movement. So I think an important question is those of us who are involved in religion or find ourselves spiritual, how do we encourage that movement? How do we encourage people within spiritual communities to see the connection that law, that that business, that commerce, that everything is putting against us in this idea that it's okay to use animals in this way? I think that's the big question. We are speaking with the amazing interfaith reverend Sarah Bowen, who is also an author and just very multi-talented. And we're asking these really tough spiritual questions. What a great opportunity. We're also going to learn about her life, her books, uh, how she got into this, which is always interesting. It's, I'm always fascinated <laughs> when people become ministers. How did that happen? Yeah, that's um, a good question, Jane. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, uh, we're going to take a very short break on Voice America Radio. We're gonna... Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead. join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, we are here with the Reverend Sarah Bowen. I'm in L.A. She's in New York. She is an interfaith vegan minister and author. We've been grappling with some of the toughest questions, uh, philosophical, moral questions that, that really exist on, on, in, in our world today. What we're going to hit is how can vegans, and I'm, I'm seeking guidance from you, how can we show compassion to those who are being cruel to animals? Because I grapple with this all the time because I experience anger and frustration when you show people video 
and you see, like, for example, there's uh, a Dominion challenge, which I took part in. Dominion is a film that lays out very quick, very clearly how 80 billion animals every year are tortured from birth to death. That's how many we kill every year. And it's so difficult to watch. I didn't get through it. Uh, but at, at the end of it, I was like, this is sadism on a scale that is incomprehensible. Um, how are we able to show compassion to people who no matter what you do, no matter what you show them, no matter what you say to them, simply believe it is their privilege and their right to uh, partake in this? Because I think sometimes we go about this in a way that they can't receive it. And so what we're saying is what if I tell you or if I show you, that should be enough to make you change. And I know that for many, many years, I was shown the horrors. I would turn it off, right, when it came on the TV or I would, this was pre-social media, but I would turn away from it because I could not handle it. Okay, so I have a past of doing that. So if I can go back and remember, what is it that made me change my view? It wasn't always being told the facts. The facts just kind of, I, I can't hear it. I can't hear it. Please be quiet, right? Or being shown the photos. I can't see that. And we're dealing with secondary trauma. We know that. And so people are, may not have the capacity to deal with that secondary trauma. So what we do in spiritual communities is we say, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to show you, but I'm going to have you feel it. Okay. Mm -hmm. We move from the head, we move to the heart. I know every one of my experiences of stopping to eat, because I stopped species by species, folks. I had, I had an interaction with a, with a cow. I had an interaction with a pig. And as I had an interaction with those animals, I could no longer see them in the abstract. I saw them as individuals. And if I can connect to them as individuals, it's much, much harder for me to be able to say, it's okay to eat that, per that, that, that being. Right. So here's where we look at prayer is, is for, for some folks. We look at meditation for other folks. Specifically what you're asking right now, when we're upset with other people, the practice of loving kindness, which comes to us from the Buddhist tradition, is really, really helpful. How can I extend compassion out towards this person? There's a practice called Tonglen which is also very helpful. So I think what happens is that anger, that frustration. And so Tonglen is we breathe in the yuck, okay? <laughs> Whatever that's coming <laughs> towards us, we breathe in the yuck. And then we transform it with the compassion that is in our bodies and we breathe out now that transformed yuck. So <laughs> what we're doing is using our energy to be able to change energetic signatures. Mm. We think that we need to go at it with words, okay? And, and I do it all the time. I get in these debates with people and I throw my fact out and you throw your fact out and I throw my excuse and you throw your excuse. But if I take you into an interspecies meditation and I put on the screen cows in a field and we meditate with them for 15 minutes, and then we have lunch and I ask you if you'd like a salad or you'd like a steak. What do you think you want? Yeah. Now, you may not have permanently made that decision. But enough of those experiences of feeling connection to other beings and you'll change 
And that's what we're seeing in a lot of the research is, can we use practice? Now, the words are important. Advocacy is important and, and the facts are important and exposing that is absolutely important. I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't. But if we want to change people, we also need to change from a heart level. Wow. And so, and so for you, Jane, <laughs> when yeah, those folks crazy. across the street, I get angry. Hey, I, I'm a hothead minister too sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But when, when that person across the street is doing that barbecue, then can I sink into a place of sending compassion to them, understanding they don't know. They don't know. Right. Like they Jesus can't said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that doesn't mean let them off the hook. Okay. And Jesus didn't mean that, that, that I don't think that that meant left them off the hook. So those folks, can I invite them over sometime and maybe we watch the squirrels and do a little squirrel meditation? Can I do something else with them <laughs> besides laughing. running over and saying, I'm don't laughing. eat that? <laughs> I'm laughing because another battle that I've had with my neighbors is whether or not we should feed the squirrels. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's funny. I think, um, for me, it's, I don't look at them as pests. I look at them as wonderful beings who, who, um, enrich my life. Other people look at them as pests who need to be chased away. So it's kind of funny. It's just what set of glasses are you looking at the world? That's right. That's right. And, and how do we help people have a lot of different sets of glasses? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm an interfaith person. I'm an inner spiritual person. I believe that the bottom of all the religions and, and wisdom traditions and philosophies, we want three things. We want to extend love and compassion. We want peace in the world. And we want to know how to care for this environment, right? And at the base, that's what religions do. Now, we muck them up. People get involved and we muck up these philosophies. And, we, and then, you know, we create, we create a lot it of problems. Again, it's really important. One more time. So... Inner spirituality, which is not a religion, but a perspective, says that underneath all the religions, right, they're all formed because we are trying to be of compassionate service, we want peace, and we want love for all creation. And you can find that in every one of the traditions. Now, you can also find people not expressing that, but that's not what's at the heart of the tradition. That's our, all of the isms that hit right. us I mean, you as can people. look at the history of Europe and, and many other parts of the world and see that, you know, the Crusades were launched in the name of religion that were very violent. There's a lot of violence that, have, that has occurred in the name of religion. And it gets co-opted, and, right? So it's you know, really easy to use religion. It is really easy to use. And we see that happening right now. And I don't want to send us off on that route. Yes, no. But we can, people will use religion and what's really important for folks who are listening right now to understand is there are other people. There, saying Christians believe is, is not accurate. It's like saying women think or yeah. men believe, right? Yeah. You can't say, or New Yorkers always, you can't say Christians believe. Yeah. There, are, there are so many different denominations with so many different beliefs. We can't say Buddhists believe. Or, or Jews believe, right? We have to get, if we're going to want to um, throw some shade on a religion, we need to get educated about it before we make gross generalizations. Because yeah. the flip side of that chain is all vegans are angry. Oh. Okay. All right. All vegans are causing trouble. All vegans oh. are high maintenance. So let's not do the same thing yeah. to people who are in religions. Oh, I love that. Yes. And now I want to hear about you. How did you, 
how did you end up being a reverend? It's, oh, it's- my God. Kicking and screaming, Jane. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I was a preacher's kid. I said that, right? And uh, around age 12 or 13, uh, I decided that my religion didn't deal with uh, gender or sexuality or uh, other species in a way that made sense to me. And so, I turned to sex, drugs, and punk rock. And yeah, the trifecta, right? That was my trinity for a while. And uh, and I am one of those people who kind of went spiritually bankrupt for a little while. And I was really good at uh, following my career and assembling things and uh, seeking enjoyment in life. And then I had my bottom and uh, became a 12-stepper. So when you get in 12-step, you are, are forced lovingly to reevaluate your values and to throw out what doesn't work, to make corrections. You know, you go through this 12-step process. And in part of that, I decided I didn't want to drink anymore. And then I decided I didn't want to smoke anymore. And then I decided I wanted to deal with people differently and found myself in Al-Anon. I wanted to deal with money differently. I ended up in DA. I have so many 12-step programs. I have a sponsor who tells me, a sponsee who tells me, I need a 12-step program for 12-step programs, right? <laughs> process worked for me. And what happened when I came out of that, or I guess we never fully come out of it, but what happened after a number of years is I realized that this idea of higher power that you talked about earlier, Jane, it was something that, you know, I was forming this relationship with this higher power that I now had lots of different words for, universe, energy, life force, pre, chana, um, prana, God, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I wanted to help people heal their religious bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had been um, really angry. My dad had died and he was a preacher and I was pissed at God. Why did you take my father at age 65? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to help people heal within a spiritual context. And so I found myself at this interfaith seminary. And, uh, you know, in, in my ripped jeans and uh, with my sass and my snark, and I went through the program, and what I focus on now is animal chaplaincy. So, the piece of that is is not only just to help, I, you know, I help people with issues around companion animals, right? How do we uh, deal with their loss, their death? How do we grieve them? All of that, that's one piece. But the wider view is what exactly we're talking about today. How do we make sure that our religious and spiritual traditions are talking about other species? Human exceptionalism runs rampant, right? We are here. Everything's here for us and all that kind of stuff. I don't need to uh, sing to the choir here. Yeah. But, but I do want listeners to know and you to know, Jane, that there are so many of us that are working on this from the inside to try to stretch perspectives, to try to help people understand how their spiritual values can align with their actions related to other species. We are here. We're just not getting a lot of time on the air. So thank you for giving me time on the air to jump up on my soapbox about that. But, but well, we are here. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I'm very grateful to Voice America Radio. These conversations should be happening on all over the country. News media is absolutely the biggest, uh, if not one of the biggest purveyors of the carnist mentality. I, I cite the fact that 250,000 chickens were burned alive in a warehouse, in two warehouses, factory farms in Florida, just 
last month. And the report, the news reports are nobody was hurt. Because, because no I don't think people hurt. can grasp it, Jane. I don't think they can grasp it. I really don't. I think we say that, you know, I put, here's, here's one of the, this probably happens to, to a lot of people who are listening on my Facebook feed. I will post a picture of me doing something, you know, crazy, like standing in front of my star Wars Jeep. Right. And I get a hundred, you know, a hundred likes immediately. I post something saying to someone, would you please fill out this petition? Because they're about to slaughter, you know, whoever, whoever it happens to be that day that's about to get slaughtered. And I get maybe seven or eight of my vegan friends who comment. Hmm. That's frustrating. Yes. It, and, and I have to ask I relate. myself, why? <laughs> right? right? We have to ask ourselves, why? Yeah. What I found was, if I invited everybody to an interspecies meditation, right? Mm-hmm. You love your cats. You love your dogs. Let me teach you how to meditate with them. And then I show a video that includes chickens and cows and pigs and, and all sorts of other folks. Then I may get your attention. I, but well, I think, me, Jane, people me, just turn away. They just turn away because they can't, they can't comprehend it. Here's another. Well, yes, uh, 250,000 chickens is a statistic. One chicken is a story. In an That's right. That's right. So um, that's that's part of the issue. But but the other issue is we're what seven point eight billion humans now. We can't hold meditations with everybody. It's just not enough time. Animal agriculture is well. That's where laws come in, right? That's yeah. where laws come in. That's where the people who are working. I'm working on one side of it, right? Where I have the skills and I have the competency. Yeah. There are other pieces of this puzzle that there, and we are all we are all very much needed. Well, yes. Um, And there is, I think this, we don't know. Look, there are people who say, if I can't see it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, it doesn't exist. Well, those people now um, are not handling the coronavirus very well because the coronavirus, you can't smell it, see it, or hear it, and it's killing. Well, I think we're almost up to 400,000 people in the United States. Um, And so there's an example of something that we can't perceive existing. I often say to myself, not that I'm any big philosopher, but just as a human being, um, you know, we don't know ultimately what our purpose is here, why we're here, where we're going, where we came from. I mean, it's a mystery. Our entire existence is a mystery. And people laugh and they make cliches like the only thing that um, is for sure is death and taxes and you can't take it with you and all sorts of cliches that try to. I don't know. We might be able to take it with us in some. (laughs) (laughs) There is such a thing called karma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I mean, I challenge the whole notion of karma, too. I remember I when I first moved to L.A., people get um, personalized license plates. So, of course, I did. And now my personalized license plate has the word vegan in it. But at the time, I put karma. I thought it was cute. It was like a play of words on car, K-R-M-A. And I, first of all, I had a lot of people honking at me going, bad karma, bad karma, because I wasn't this, the greatest driver, and I still am not, because I'm a city girl from Manhattan. <laughs> so that was one problem with the license plate. But then I'll never forget this. I, I was at a stoplight, and this guy pulls up to me. And he goes, karma is an idiotic notion. So you're telling me all the people who are starving in the Sudan right now are starving because they have bad karma. It's their fault. And then he drove off. The light changed and he drove off. 
Well, you know, this is an important point, Jane, is that we cannot, like, many of the concepts in, in spirituality and religion are really complex. And when we try to bring them down to a little soundbite, like I just did throwing that in, or yeah. like that man just did to you, right? We, we do them injustice to what we're actually talking about. But we do find in most traditions this idea of that you reap what you sow or that something will return to you. You know, we see it in, pe- in, in Wicca. We see it in a new thought. We see it all over that our actions, let's say it in a secular context, our actions have consequences. And yeah. we see the consequences of our actions right now happening to the planet, happening in mass extinction, happening in loss of habitat, happening in loss of lives. Our actions have consequences. And I think that's the piece where we have to all focus. How, if there is a purpose. And, and, you know, here's, I think, of all the things happening today that um, boggle my mind, this is a zoonotic illness. It jumped from animals to humans. I know, but then people blame the animal for it. No, no, but (laughs) I'm just just mentioning a fact. Yeah. yeah. It's a zoonotic illness. Now, you can debate where exactly it happened. In all likelihood, it cropped up at a wet slaughter market in China where there were pangolins and chickens and all sorts of disgusting blood, guts, eyeballs, everything mixed together. That's where these things start. And yet, no matter what, the, the news media, the powers that be, are not discussing, A, how our abhorrent, morally reprehensible, shameful treatment of animals um, led to this, and B, they're not talking about how to prevent the next pandemic by getting rid of factory farming. They're talking about how to treat the next pandemic. So the blindness, the... the I know, it's frustrating. Yeah. It's incredibly frustrating for those of us who see it, are mm-hmm. awake to it, are aware of it. It is incredibly frustrating. And so it comes back to that question you asked a little while ago. What do we do about our own emotions with it too? How do we make sure that we don't burn out mm-hmm. in this advocacy? How do we make sure that we, uh, we don't just end up a puddle on the floor, right? And, I, and that happens to me some days. It's too big. And I think spiritual practice is a piece of that. And so that's why I'm involved in that edge of it. Yes, and I applaud you. And, you know, I will tell you, um, I'm a 25 years sober. Hopefully by April Fool's Day, I'll be 26 years sober. Knock on wood. All I get is a daily reprieve one day at a time. But I do find that my day goes a lot better when I fall to my knees and I pray and I turn over my problems and I turn over all the things that I'm powerless over and I make my bed and I do a very short meditation, which I didn't get around to today, but um, uh, just literally breathing in. 15, breathing out, breathing in, 14, breathing out. And by the time I get down to zero, I open my eyes and I'm like, okay, I feel ordered inside. My bed is made. My dishes are washed. Now I'm going to proceed with the day. And it's a totally different experience than when I charge onto the world stage without getting myself uh, together first. And every time I have a bad day and I Almost every time I think, oh, I forgot to pray. I forgot to meditate. I forgot to make, you know, those days. Why is that? Perhaps you can give us some insight because I'm grateful that I have that. Like, I'm grateful I have those tools. I don't know exactly how they work, but they do work for me. 
I can, you know, and I think we, if we look at, if anyone has not read the book, Trauma Stewardship, um, pick that up, Laura Vandernoot Lipsky, uh, but very much talks about this idea that we need to keep our own self in alignment, our body, our physiology, our, uh, all of that. We need to keep that grounded in order to be the advocate that we are, right? And there is a lot of science now behind what meditation, prayer, spiritual practice in general does to us neurologically. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, the why for why, why Jane feels that way uh, when she does, you know, look into the neuroscience behind spiritual practice because it's very compelling. Wow. Now tell us, we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, our final segment, I want to hear about your books and where people can get them. So we're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay on Facebook. to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America in influencers channel it's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health wealth and happiness are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts then tune in to the forbes factor with celebrity tv host and inspirational icon forbes riley she's a best-selling author and tv fitness expert and you know her from qvc and hsn now she brings her expert advice and guests to the voice america influencers channel tune in live every wednesday at 11 a.m pacific time and 2 p.m eastern time for the forbes factor we get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com. Now back to the show a very fun, provocative, thought-provoking conversation, spiritually challenging conversation with the amazing Reverend Sarah Bowen, interfaith vegan minister, author of two books. We want to get to your books. You have a book, Spiritual Rebel, I see behind you, and you also have an upcoming book. Tell us. I do. So Spiritual Rebel is 21 days of practices that come from all over the place, uh, ancient wisdom, pop culture. And, and what it really is intended to do is take you through the process of figuring out how to toss out the religious and spiritual stuff that no longer works for you 
and then try different things to see what works for you instead of being told what to do or instead of just kind of investing in one practice. This is the <laughs> try a lot of things and see what effect that has. Like we were talking about Jane before the break, you know, there are practices that she does in the morning. There are practices I do in the morning. You know, how do you learn what those are? How do you What learn? are your practices? Oh, I have so many. That's why I had to write the book. Um, but each you morning- made it here, though, for this call, <laughs> so it can't be several hours. Right? It's Well, and they don't have to be. And that's the point of Spiritual Rebel is what I suggest are spiritual moments. What are practices we can do during the day that are five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes that return us to balance, that help us in that, you know, not end up as the puddle on the floor, right? What are those things that we can do? So in the morning, um, I do a little, I throw an I Ching or a Yi Jing, right? That uh, is from a Taoist practice to figure out what the day holds. What is that? I, I, I don't know what that means. You throw oh, it. so it's a three coins oh. that you toss six times. And the result of that tells you which pages to read in a book called the I Ching. And when you read that, it has questions to reflect on. It's a very, very ancient text, and there are lots of um, translations of it, just like there are translations of the Bible, but it helps you focus on what you want to do during the day. I will send Jane, I will send you a copy. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one practice. I also meditate, interspecies meditation, always. That's go outside, sit down, meditate with whoever is in my yard. There's a lot of folks in my yard, a lot of squirrels and birds and and all of that. Um, And then I have a little prayer. And then I do a little uh, spiritual reading every morning. And that's like 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. right? This doesn't have to be three hours on our cushion. If you can do three hours on your cushion, good on you. I can't. So that's why I wrote this book. Uh, It also helps people look into. uh, I'm like a minute, 15 (laughs) seconds, but in my world, that's a long time, but go ahead. And if that works, Jane, that's fabulous. I find that it's not just enough to do something in the morning because by 3 p.m., I'm a little sassy by 3 p.m., right? I'm a little snarky. I'm a little frustrated. I have I have taken on what the world has given me in that day, and I may need to dip in for a little bit of something else. So the book gives you all these different ways of, of, of doing that. So the, I shouldn't just do what I do, which is go on Yahoo News, watch the latest headlines with horror, and then... <laughs> well, my- now you could, but then maybe after that you do five minutes of tonglin. Maybe five minutes of breathing that in, transforming it and breathing it out, right? So, so how do we make spiritual practice not just be something we do on Sunday or Friday or Saturday or, or whatever? How do we do it all the time, right? Mindfulness is a piece of this, meditation, uh, forest bathing, uh, hiking, uh, Lectio Terrestris, hiking with sacred texts, all these things. So if you're interested in different ways of connecting to whatever that is you connect to, I don't care what you call it. Uh, it doesn't have to be called God. It, it can be whatever it is. It can just be energy. Um, however you want to connect to that, the book has that. Now, the next book is called Sacred Sendoffs. And that is a book that comes out. It comes out this uh, later this year. And it is about my experience as an animal chaplain on how do we honor animals at their death? Mm-hmm. Now, as vegans, we often are, tr- are in the business of preventing the loss. Yes. Yeah. We don't always think about what do we do about the losses? Mm. What do we do about it? So you read the headline, Jane, about the, about the chickens. Yeah. You're angry. You're frustrated. We may go do some advocacy or some action. But have we done anything reverent for those lives? Now, we do for the people that die, right? We go to funerals or memorials or we do all sorts of beautiful things for humans that die. Yeah. What do we do for the animals? 
And so Sacred Sendoffs, if you go to sacredsendoffs.com, you can sign up to get on the list to get it when it when it first comes out. But it answers that question. Yeah, that might be something really good to, um, you know, approach these things from another perspective. Like maybe I know, you know, people were just so horrified by the 250,000 chickens. I can't even think about it. It's beyond the horror is beyond my imagination of 200, a quarter of a million chickens being burned alive, baby chickens. So, so listen to what the Buddhists do. So, so when there was a big uh, hoof and mouth problem a few years ago, and I'm sure they continue to do it, but, but the one I write about in Sacred Sendoffs, when there were you know, thousands of animals that died, they actually had a service where on the altar are pictures of, of a cow and, and chicken and the other animals. There are, there are um, candles that they go up and light. There are offerings that they make. They chant. They pray. So if we did this on a social media level, it would be a way to wake people up without saying, hey, don't eat eggs. These were factory farm chickens stuck in a warehouse to produce eggs. They never touched grass. They never saw the light of day. And then they were burned alive. Don't regard eggs as cruelty-free. They're extraordinarily cruel, which they are. Yeah. So this is a way, again, Jane, of of connecting to the emotion of the loss. When you see um, Buddhist monk after Buddhist monk, and then practitioners go up and light a candle Mm. and write a blessing for the animals that are gone. But if we did this on social media, it would be a way to engage people who don't want to think about uh, eggs being cruel because they like their eggs and they don't, they don't want to have to make a shift. Uh, well, by the they, way, just, just, um, just uh, has an incredible vegan egg that tastes just like eggs and um, involves none of that cruelty. And also it's cholesterol. Which is what we should feed, <laughs> feed everybody after our service. But yeah. if you think about how many uh, in October, St. Francis Day, how many animals are blessed? How many people drag their dogs and their cats and pythons and whoever out to, to a church to be blessed? People have an interest in this, this yeah. idea of, of so, so they do that. So on the flip side, now I do a lot of work with people around memorials for loss, right? What I would love to do, and if there's people who um, are involved in animal sanctuaries that are listening today, please reach out to me because I would really like to extend this into what do we do when animals at sanctuaries die? How do we mark those deaths? How do we ritualize those? How do we give care and reverence? Because I think that that, that piece of it, when people can connect to the loss, because we know what a funeral yes. feels let's, like, let it can shift people. Because we only have like three minutes, but often great ideas come out of these live interviews because we're, you know, we're focused, we're, we're talking about issues. I see a great way to approach people from a way that doesn't threaten them. That's right. Is to create an organization, a social media organization that does memorials for animals who are killed like the oh, Jane, you're, you're, you're talking about my spoiler alert. So we are starting an organization called the Compassion Consortium. Um, if you know Victoria Moran, yes, um, she and I are, are involved in this and, and William Melton and another, a, a number of other folks. And we are creating an organization that is going to do just that. So we have monthly, monthly um, you know, spiritual uh, events 
that we will have where we will be doing this honoring. We will also be having speakers and, and doing different things. But if, if, if compassion and, and veganism. We're getting and, it out. To that's the right. To the world. That's right. And we'll be doing that on social media too. So that website's going up at the end of this month. Um, and again, if you, if you go to my website is thisissarahbowen.com. Uh, you can go there if you if you uh, you know yeah. sign up for my newsletter. Information will come out with that. But we are working on that, and I'm really excited about the possibilities I, for this. Yeah, I see it on Instagram, TikTok, yeah. Rizzle, where we're you know these 250 chickens. Die. It's a way to get the information out in a way that brings people into it, but not in an accusatory, threatening fashion. Right. By by coming through the heart of, yeah. did you feel this loss? Look at this. Look at, look at what just happened. Do, yeah. I would love to do an article on that. And, you know, we do an article on these stories. So maybe we can um, preview that a little bit if you send That's me. That's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get in touch yeah. about that. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on. And the listeners here and the watchers on Facebook may have ideas, too. Uh, this yeah. is another side to look at for, I mean, it, lobbying is important and, and advocacy and all the work that everybody's doing super important. And at the same time, if you're a spiritual person, Think about how you can deal this, deal with this in those ways. How does your spirituality come? Not what does the Bible say and what, is the, what do religions say and all that, but what does your spiritual connection call you to do in terms of these lives? And it's to prevent the loss. And then what do we do at the loss? So I think that's the piece that uh, if you sum up, you know, what, what is an animal chaplain? What is an animal minister? We want to see spirituality be interspecies. So is, is it correct to say that you are launching a social media campaign to um, honor those animals who are killed? You're going to be very busy because they kill 80 billion just for food every year. Um, and, you know, more than 1.6 million yeah. animals died in preventable fires in the United States in 20 And 400 million animals a year are killed on U.S. roadways, a million a day, only 100 people. Now, when people die, it's horrible. So don't, don't take me wrong on this. 100 people die a day on U.S. roads, a million animals. So slow down, folks. <laughs> but it is correct to say that's one piece of what we're going to be doing, Jane, with that. The other is providing a community for people to gather together who are concerned about this, this link between compassion, spirituality, and advocacy. And I know a bunch of people uh, we can connect you with uh, who are very involved in mm-hmm. the spiritual aspect of veganism. Um, so my friend, Lisa Levinson. Yeah, Lisa's, Lisa's on our board. Oh, well, there you so. go. You're way ahead of me. I love yeah. it. I love but it. Please, please do, you know, connect connect me and folks, no, if you want to be connected with the Compassion Consortium, you know, we're going to be doing um, online. About this because, you know, one of the things that I'm obsessed with as we wrap up is that so many people do great things, but if a tree falls and no one hears it, does it make a sound? No, this we need to be I noisy. Jane, people were doing yeah. protests and not, now things have changed, but they were doing protests and nobody was documenting it and people weren't looking. Missing well, link. Thank you. Let's thank you, Jane, for this. Yeah, Let's thank you, Jane, for this piece. Oh, I love this. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was such a great uh, conversation. We could go on for hours. Unfortunately, we're out of time. The Reverend Sarah Bowen at Modern Reverend, right, on Instagram. And uh, we'll put up all the links. This is amazing. Thank you so very much. <music> 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.